in Luke chapter 11, beginning to read verses 11 through 13. I've asked the brethren to keep the volume up on the microphone today because I'm going to try to save my voice. I've got to preach again tonight. I spoke in one of the sessions at the men's advance and strained my voice there. And then my Sunday school lesson, this sermon, and again tonight, and I must preach three sermons Tuesday night for television. And so that's why I've asked Gary to preach Wednesday night. But I've asked him just to, and I, I'm just going to try to let uh, the Holy Spirit this morning minister to your heart without my straining and let him just impact your heart with the power of his word. Luke chapter 11, verses 11 through 13. If a son shall ask bread of any of you, that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then be an evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? The title of my message this morning is, Much More. God is benevolent. He is not stingy. God is good. He is not bad. God is gracious. He is not unkind. The 12th chapter of Luke, the next chapter over in verse 32, Jesus said, Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Psalms 84, verse 11 says, No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Now, friends, the baptism of the Holy Ghost is a promise. It is a gift of God. It is something the Father wants you to have even more than you could even want to receive it. It is a gift that you could never earn or deserve or be worthy of. And yet He wants each one of us to have this beautiful gift. It is a commitment on the Father's part. It is a promise, an unequivocal promise that He will not take back he wants you to have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, we speak about this often. And in fact, sometimes people have criticized the Pentecostal churches and, and referred to us as the modern tongues movement. We're not a tongues movement. We preach the Bible from cover to cover. I don't believe that I preach on the baptism of the Holy Ghost or preach on speaking with other tongues any more than a Baptist would preach on eternal security any more than a Methodist would preach on grace, any more than a Nazarene would preach on sanctification, any more than a Presbyterian would preach on election, any more than a Lutheran would preach on justification, any more than the Church of Christ would preach on water baptism, any more than the Episcopalian would preach on social issues, any more than the Catholics would preach on the church. Yes, I preach about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I preach about speaking with unknown tongues. But I don't believe that, that we do that to the exclusion of other very vital and important Bible doctrines. 
I believe that we preach the whole gospel, the, the Word of God from cover to cover. I believe that we present the claims of Christ. Luke chapter 24 and verse 29, Jesus said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. What did he refer to this experience as? The promise of my Father. I send the promise of my Father. And then he said, You tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 4, Jesus instructed the disciples not to depart from Jerusalem, but tarry there and wait for the promise of the Father. For he said, John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Tarry for the promise, wait for the promise of the Father. In Acts chapter 2 and in verse 33, Peter said, Jesus being by the right hand of, the, of God exalted and having received of the Father hath shed forth, having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye do now see and hear. Jesus being exalted at the right hand of the Father, having received the promise of the Holy Ghost, hath shed forth this, which you now see and hear. And what was Peter preaching about? He was explaining what had happened on the day of Pentecost when they said, what, what is this? And they said, these men are, are full of, of new wine. And he said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. So in explaining the day of Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Ghost into the church and the people receiving the baptism and speaking in other tongues, he says, Jesus is now exalted at the right hand of the Father and he hath received the promise of the Holy Ghost and hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. This is the promise he talked to us about when he was on the earth, the promise of the Father. He received it from the Father. Now he has shed it forth on the earth and you and I can have it. For he said in verse 38 of Acts chapter 2, the promise is unto you and unto your children, unto them that are afar off, even as many as the Lord thy God shall call. What promise? The promise that they would receive the Holy Ghost. For he said in the prior verse, repent and be baptized for the remission of sin. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise, the promise is unto you, to your children, and to all of them that are afar off, even as many as the Lord thy God shall call. So it is the promise of God. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 14, Paul said that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So the Holy Spirit's indwelling and endowment of power in our life through the baptism of the Holy Ghost is a promise. And it is, it is received and accepted by faith. Let me read that verse again, Galatians chapter 3, verse 14, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. It's not arbitrary. It's not something you get even if you don't manifest faith. It's something you ask and you receive and you accept on the basis of faith. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, Paul again says, Ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Thank God for the promise of the Father. 
What is the promise of the Father? That the Holy Ghost, the blessed Comforter, would come. Jesus said, I go away, but I will not leave you comfortless. I will send you another Comforter, and He will abide with you forever. And so the Holy Ghost is the promise of the Father. And Jesus says, wait, tarry, until you be endued with power from on high. Wait for the promise of the Father. And this is His will. In the 12th chapter of Luke, beginning with verse 30, well, before I come to that verse, let me just simply say, if something is a promise, and if it is a gift, you don't have to beg for it. You need not try to convince God that He ought to give it to you. There's no argument. He promised it. God keeps His promises. Now, our children have to argue with us about our promises. But, Daddy, you promised. How many hundreds of times did I hear that? You promised. But we don't have to argue with God, do we? His promises are yea and amen. It's a gift. He wants you to have it more than you even want to receive it. So you don't need to beg. You don't need to try to convince God, of course, God, into giving it to you. Why then do we have tarrying? Why then do we have waiting? Because that's part of the Holy Spirit process of teaching us to be in the presence of the Lord and to quit being so hurried and so busy and preoccupied the tarrying and the waiting is not convincing God and it's not proving anything to God. It's just calling us out from the worldly pursuits to a place of basking in His sunlight and in His presence and taking time to listen to God and minister to God. Sometimes we want Him to minister to us so much that we never take time to minister to Him and it is a ministry to God when we praise Him. We minister to God when we worship Him. And so that's the purpose of the tarrying and the waiting. It's not that we're waiting for God to decide that it's now time. It's not that we're even waiting for us to get holy enough to receive it. But rather, it's our taking time to be in His presence and to quit the world of pursuits long enough to direct our mind and our thought and our heart, every bit of our strength, to the, just the worship of God and the seeking of the things of God. The Bible does tell us, ask and ye shall receive. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. And He gives the Spirit to them that ask Him. And so that's part of the tearing. That's part of the waiting. I hear people knocking the old-fashioned tearing meetings. Well, I tell you, I think we need more of it because there the Lord dealt with a lot of problems in people's lives. And people were able to get the victory over Things. And no wonder we have so many people today who, who are speaking in tongues and doing things that they ought not to be doing. It's because they have not been to the tarrying meetings. It's because they have not waited long enough in the presence of God for the Holy Spirit to deal with those areas. Sure, the Lord will give you the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You don't have to be perfect to get the baptism. It's a gift. In fact, it's going to help you be a better man or woman than you already were. So the Lord's not going to withhold something from you that's going to help you do what He wants you to do. That'd be foolish. And God didn't make this promise on the basis of your holiness. He didn't say, if you're holy, I'll give you the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He gives the Spirit to help us with our infirmities. The Spirit helpeth our infirmities. And so then, the baptism of the Holy Ghost is given to us, and we have the privilege of speaking in unknown tongues, but we still need that tarrying. We still need that waiting in God's presence. There's where the sanctification takes place. There's where the process of, of progressive sanctification 
takes place. And people grow in the Lord and get victory over areas of their life. So it's part of the work of the Spirit. Bread and fish in this scripture reading are symbolic of good gifts. The Lord said, how much more shall your father give the Spirit? But he said, if your earthly father will give good gifts, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Spirit? Now bread and fish were used of symbols of good things in our life. But friends, the baptism of the Holy Ghost is much more than bread. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is much more than fish, much more than materialism, much more than food that satisfies physical hunger, much more than water or drink that satisfies our thirst, much more than anything this world has to offer. Good gifts are bestowed by your earthly father. The bread, if he asks for bread, the child is not given a stone. If he asks for fish, he's not handed a serpent. Because the fathers want good things in the hands of their children. I can't conceive of Brother Eddington giving little Darren a scorpion when he asked for a piece of fish. Or Brother Pike giving little Jeremy or Lindsay something that would be hurtful or harmful to them any more than Gary would be giving uh, Jennifer or any of us would give our children something that would harm them when they were asking for something good. And so he didn't decry the need for bread and fish. That's good. But there's something much more. Praise God. How much more will your Father give the Spirit to them that ask? In fact, God's concerned about bread. In Luke chapter 12, verse 30, your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. Your father knows that you need bread and fish. In verse 24 of Luke chapter 12, he said, Consider the ravens. They don't sow, they don't reap. Your father feeds them. In verse 27, Consider the lilies. They don't toil, they don't spin. And yet Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of them. He doesn't have enough money and wealth to buy the colors in that beautiful lily. Your father does that. And then he said in verse 31 of Luke 12, Seek ye the kingdom. It's not the color for the lilies. It's not raiment that we have greatest need of. It's not bread. It's not the feed for the birds. It is not the grass of the field being clothed and then cast into the oven that is such great consequence, that's taken for granted. Your father knoweth that you have need of these things. Earlier, Jesus had already said, not even a sparrow falls to the ground without your father knowing it. Even the hairs of your head are numbered. So all material things and all of this natural element is taken care of. God is provided. He said, these things will be added, but there is something much more, more important. If your father would give this bread, if your father would give this fish, if the florist would take the lily and the rose and make a beautiful bouquet, if the seamstress will take the beautiful fabric and make the raiment, then much more will father clothe your spirit 
And your spiritual man, your inner man, was something that Solomon could never purchase and wealth can never provide. The Father seeth that you have need of these material things, but the spiritual things you've got to ask for. The Father will put the grass in the field and the roses will grow and the lilies will bloom and the birds will be fed whether or not you and I remember to put it in the bird feeder. It's always been that way. Before there was any industry to capitalize on these, the Father has always fed the birds and clothed the grass. And He's going to continue to do it. He knows you have need and He's going to clothe you. Take no thought about those things. Don't be anxious about that. But seek ye the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. The Father will give the bread. Earthly fathers will put bread in the children's hands and put fish on the table. Speaking of sustenance for the bodies. But Jesus said, your heavenly Father will give the Spirit only to those that ask. It isn't an automatic process. It isn't something that's going to be done if you say, well, I don't understand it, I don't believe it, and, and so I'm just not for that. Only when you believe it and ask. The, I read to you in, Ephesians, in Galatians 3.14, we have been given the spirit of promise by faith, which is received by faith, the promise of the Holy Ghost indwelling our life is conditional upon our asking. Now, there is a sense in which all Christians have the Holy Ghost. That's in conversion, in regeneration. As a child of God, we have the Holy Spirit. Thank God for that. I'm glad that every Christian has the Holy Spirit. But every Christian does not have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Every Christian does not have this promise of the Father of the baptism which Jesus clearly identified the promise of the Father not with regeneration, not with conversion, but rather endowment of power. He said, John baptized with water, you should be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence in the very next verse after he says, wait for the promise of the Father. Acts 1, 4, wait for the promise of the Father. Verse Five, John baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Not many days hence. He clearly identified the promise of the Father, not with the Holy Spirit in conversion, but with the Holy Spirit baptism. When we are endued with power from on high, which took place just a matter of days after he spoke those words on the day of Pentecost, when they were endued and they spoke with tongues. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is something that must be sought for and desired for. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 1, Paul instructs us, desire spiritual gifts. Desire spiritual gifts. Friends, God is not going to force this on you. You don't need to be afraid of it. No one receives it accidentally. No one is affected by it against their will. If you don't want to speak in tongues, you won't speak in tongues. If you put your heels in the ground and said, I just am not going to do that, that's right, you're not going to do that. Desire spiritual gifts. Why would anyone want to reject something that would do them so much good? 
For in verse 2, the very next verse he says, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. In verse 1 he says, Desire spiritual gifts. And the very next verse says, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. The word edifieth means to be built up. It means to strengthen, to be comforted. If you don't need this comfort, if you don't need this strength, if you don't need this building up, then you're a strange uh, individual. Because the Word of God clearly teaches us that it is something that we need. And He says that we must desire it, but it will not be forced on us. God will never insist that you have it against your will. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13 is a verse often quoted by those who claim that every Christian has the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Well, thank God for that verse. It's a powerful verse. has a lot of wonderful truth. We're all baptized into one body. We're put into what body? We're not Jews and Greeks, male and female. We're all one in Christ. We're in one church. There's only one church. It's not Assembly of God, Baptist, Methodist, or any other denomination. It's the invisible body of Christ. How do we get in there? You can't join it. You can't pay dues and get in it. You're not drafted into it against your will. The Holy Spirit puts you in it when you get saved. When you're born again, you are born into the family of God. And you're put in there by the Holy Spirit. And the, the method by which you're put in there is called a baptism, which means you're immersed into it. You're totally put into it. You don't have one leg sticking out the gate. No, you're all the way in the body of Christ. You're baptized in the body of Christ. By one Spirit at regeneration, we're put into the body of Christ, and the terminology and the phraseology is used, baptized into the body of Christ, has absolutely nothing to do with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's a baptism by the Spirit into the body of Christ. Jesus baptizes you in the Holy Ghost. I, as a preacher, can baptize you in water. The Holy Ghost can baptize you into the body of Christ. Jesus baptizes you in the Holy Ghost. So there are three valid baptisms. There's only one that saves, one baptism that saves, and that's the one where the Holy Spirit puts you into the body of Christ. But this one is for the purpose of, not salvation, you already got saved, but it's for the purpose of endowment of power to saturate you and endue you and anoint you with power from on high. Jesus said, tarry till you be endued with power from on high. So it's a gift that you must seek and desire. Now, on the day of Pentecost, they did not receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost vicariously on your behalf any more than they got saved in your place. There are those who teach that the only place people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues as an evidence of it was in the book of Acts chapter 2, and that was the end of it. That's not true. They didn't get the baptism of the Holy Ghost on your behalf. They got it because they needed it. They were endued with power. They went out and preached. They went out and did miracles. They went out and obeyed the, the call of the gospel. Today, we must receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost for ourselves. They didn't get saved for me. They didn't get the baptism of the Holy Ghost for me. Both are individual experiences that must be sought for. I must accept Jesus for myself. I must receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost for myself. Now there's a teaching that the book of Acts is transitional. Well, of course, that's a man-made term. It's not a scriptural term. 
Man invented this term to explain why they don't speak in tongues and why they don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They say, well, the book of Acts is transitional between the law and grace, between the old covenant and the new covenant. And what happened in the books of, book of Acts is not supposed to be carried over as uh, something that we're to practice and believe in for our day. Well, that is a cop-out. That is not facing the issue. That is not addressing the need that men have for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Friends, if it had been true that these men spoke in tongues and no one has spoken in tongues since that day, the need for it would be just as great today, even if it had been true. But it was not true. They spoke in tongues after that. And they have down through church history. And they are today. The need has always been there to pray in a language that we don't understand. And to let the Spirit help our infirmities. We have just as many infirmities as they did. We have just as great a need of the Spirit making intercession to God with groanings which cannot be uttered as they did. We need just as many signs and wonders and miracles today as they did. There are just as many unbelievers, some of them even run for high public office. <laughs> How much more shall your... Let me get on here. How much more shall your Father give? <laughs> much more, much more. Much more than bread, much more than fish. Jesus said, labor not for that meat which perisheth, but that which endureth to life everlasting. He told the woman at the well in Samaria, if you drink of this water in this well, you'll surely get thirsty before you get home. You'll need to come back here and get another dipper full. But if you drink of the water that I give you, it shall be in you a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Praise God. In John chapter 7, Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit and he said that this would be in you like a river of living water. Thank God. Brother Wilkerson, I didn't recognize you earlier. I didn't see you over there. We're glad to have you. If I'd known you was over there, would I, if you had that saxophone, you'd surely had to play it for us. Will you come back and do it later? <laughs> Let me get back to my sermon. Much more, much more. <laughs> That man can play a saxophone, I tell you, make your hair stand on end. <laughs> Praise God. It's the desire of your father to give you the spirit more than it is for your earthly father to give the material things. The spirit baptism is much more. It's referred to by many as a second blessing. A second blessing. In Acts chapter 2, the disciples had already been saved. They already knew the Lord. Their names were written in the Lamb's book of life. But they got much more when the Lord poured out the Spirit upon them and a sound as of a mighty rushing wind filled all the house where they were sitting. And cloven tongues like as a fire sat upon each of them and they all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Much more than they had had prior to this. No wonder it was worth waiting for. Jesus said, wait. Tarry in the city of Jerusalem till you be endued. And brother, when the heavens broke open and the sound of the mighty rushing wind came and the forked tongues of fire sat upon each of them and they began to speak with tongues. Shortly after that, not immediately after, but shortly after that, they spread out over every continent, spreading the gospel because they received power when the Holy Ghost came upon them. 
In Acts chapter 4, the same group of people were gathered together in a room, and when they prayed, the house was shaken where they were gathered. And the Holy Ghost came upon them again, and the Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, they'd already been baptized in Acts chapter 2. They were filled again. There's one baptism in the Holy Ghost, but many fillings. So it's perfectly in order for you to get right back down here and say, Lord, fill my cup. I lift it up and just let the Lord fill you afresh and anew for there are many, many infillings of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 19, the Ephesians were saved and Paul said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said, we didn't know there was a Holy Ghost. And he preached to them and laid hands on them and the Holy Ghost came on them and they spoke with tongues. Praise God. In Acts chapter 9, Saul met Jesus on the Damascus road. Ananias came to Damascus, to the street called Straight, and laid hands on him and prayed for him and the scales fell off of his eyes and he received his sight and received the Holy Ghost. Now I believe he got saved on the road to Damascus. He met Jesus there. I believe he accepted him. Why did the Lord let him be blind for three days? I tell you, he had a lot of thinking to do. He, this encounter was going to take a little time, a little adjusting on his part. And so the Lord just shut the world out. Sometimes if we won't shut the world out, the Lord does it for us. We get a little confinement. We won't get in the closet and shut the door, so the Lord slams it behind us. He pushes us in and slams it sometimes for us. That's what he did to Saul of Tarshish. The Lord tells us to go into the closet and close the door and seek the Father. Well, we're not willing to do that, so sometimes he gives a little shove. Bang! Closed it on my finger. <laughs> I believe he got saved on the Damascus road. And Ananias was instructed to go and pray for him that he might get his sight back and receive the Holy Ghost. Thank God. Brother, he's talking about something much more than what had already happened to this point. Been revolutionary. Nothing in all of his life could ever compare with seeing the Lord on the Damascus Road and that bright light and suddenly being blinded and hearing the voice of God. And, and, and he said, who is it, Lord? And he said, it's Jesus that you're persecuting. He met him there on that Damascus Road. But now, friends, something much more happens. When the scale falls off of his eyes and he gets his sight, he also gets a baptism of the Holy Ghost. Jesus always gives more. He gives handfuls on purpose, extra blessings. You know what serendipity means, don't you? There's a term that came out a few years back and people scrambled to find out the meaning for it. Well, it's an unexpected blessing. <laughs> Every once in a while I see some couples with unexpected blessings. <laughs> if it happens to me and my wife, you'll know it's serendipity. <laughs> We're going to name it. <laughs> Lord never let that happen because he wouldn't want it to have to bear that kind of name. <laughs> Serendipity. Well, the Lord gives more than we even ask for. Mike and Sharon are holding their breath wondering if it's going to be two or one. <laughs> Jesus took two loaves and five fish fed 5,000 people and had 12 basketfuls left over. He took seven loaves and a few fish, fed 4,000 people besides the women and children, 
and had seven basketfuls left over. He always gives much more than we can ask, more than we can think, more than we can even handle. Because the Bible says he'll open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive. That's stacking it up pretty good, isn't it, Brother Chitty? Man, running it over. Jesus said a little bit of leaven will leaven the whole lump. I believe that. And he helped his disciples to catch a miraculous draught of fish. They were shocked. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. But he says, I'm going to give you much more than that. From hereafter, you're going to catch men. Hallelujah. Praise God. Something much more than 153 fish in a net. Something much more than silver coins. Something much more than a full tummy. Something much more than pride and ego. But I'll make you fishers of men. We'll win the world. I'll build my church. I'm going to give you the Holy Ghost. I'll give you the promise of the Father. Much more than anything you've ever found before this. How much more shall your Father give the Spirit to them that ask? Much more than your earthly Father's willingness to grant it. Much more in value than they could ever give. Praise God. 